So I'm going to do a little scientific survey here so I can, you know, just get a feel for the people I'm going to be preaching to this morning. Who here has finished Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. All right. It's like, I think two or three. You're my people. I like you guys. Who here has not even started? All right. Okay. I know who I'm preaching to now. Let me take some notes here. But I love Christmas. I like, I, like, really love Christmas. I know pretty much everybody loves Christmas. There's some people who don't. Grinches. Um, no, but I, I, like, really love Christmas. My wife may say I'm a little bit obsessed with it. Um, if you come into our, our home, it's like, I think the first year that we were married, my wife said it looks like Santa Claus threw up all over our house. Um, but I mean, I'm a pastor, so I love the Jesus aspect about Christmas. We're going to be talking about that today. But I got to be honest, I also really love the commercial aspect about Christmas. I love Santa Claus. I love him. He's awesome. I love Christmas trees and lights. And like, I really typically like really modern uh, design. But around Christmas, like the bigger and brighter and more gaudy it is, the better. Um, I, I would say that my favorite, one of my favorite movies, top five, is It's a Wonderful Life. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Not just Christmas, just of all time. But I also like horrible Hallmark Christmas movies. Just anything that's about Christmas, I love. I love it. I love Christmas music. I love the snacks, gingerbread and eggnog. Anything that has to do with Christmas, like I'm all, I'm all about it. Um, if you come into our house, there's always Christmas music playing. Well, I shouldn't say always. After Thanksgiving, there's Christmas music playing. Because if you play it in, in like, the summer, you're a monster. Um, that's not true. If you play it in the summer, you're okay. But for me, uh, I feel like it makes it less special if you play it in the summer. So it's like all this time after Thanksgiving up until Christmas, it's Christmas music. Um, but you know what, I was, I, was, I was talking about it uh, with someone, and I was, I was figuring out that it's not really Christmas that I love. It's not Christmas that I love. In fact, like sometimes, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who've said the same thing. Christmas Day can kind of feel like a letdown. Like you, you get to Christmas Day, and it's kind of like, oh, this was it. It's kind of done. But for me, I like the buildup to Christmas. I like the Christmas season and the anticipation and the waiting and all of the tradition that leads up to Christmas. I love, you know, wrapping presents. I love putting up Christmas lights. I love, one of my favorite things is to go to like, you know, a, a, a Christmas tree lot and to find that one perfect Christmas tree. Like I imagine that there's this one Christmas tree that's just kind of waiting for your family to come find it. And it's like, come find me, Meyer family. Um, I know that's not true, but I like to think about that. Uh, but I just, I love the build up to Christmas. I love it. I love the anticipation. That's why I love Advent. The Advent season is a season of longing, of waiting for Jesus to come. The baby Christ is coming. And I love that. I love that, 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 that anticipation that's built in to Advent series. But I will say that anticipation for Christmas, that longing for Christmas predates Christmas itself. Let me, let me say that again. That the desire and anticipation for Christmas to come predates Christmas. It existed far before, way before Christmas ever came. I was talking to my daughter, Olive, a couple days ago, and I said to her, I said, hey, because she loves Christmas too. She's starting to become obsessed with it, like her dad. And I said, hey, do you know what we celebrate when we, when we celebrate Christmas? And she said, presents. And I, I said, no. I don't know what that says about me as a parent, but, uh, but I said, Olive, for Christmas, we celebrate Jesus. We're celebrating Jesus' birth. And Christmas 
we know is the celebration of Jesus' birth. And do you know that for all time before, before Jesus was born, if, you, if you're a new Christian or just are unfamiliar with this, the Bible's divided into two sections. There's the Old Testament, which is before Jesus, and, and the New Testament, which is after Jesus. But the Old Testament is full of longing for the coming Messiah. The Old Testament is just full of this longing for, for Jesus, this longing for, for Christmas. And so as we continue through this Advent series, I want to talk about that longing, that longing that many of us have for Jesus, and, and the longing specifically that those people had for Jesus to come. The series that we're doing this year, each week we decided that we're going to take a different title for Jesus and, and, and just look at that one title. And this week, what I want to look at is, is a title that many of us are familiar with. Actually, probably most of us are familiar with. I would say all of us are familiar with to, for one degree or another, but I don't know how familiar we are with what it really means. If you turn to Mark chapter 8, actually, if you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to be jumping around a ton this morning, so it's going to be hard to follow along. We'll have it up on the screens. But Mark chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus, said, Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Some translations may say you are the Christ. Did you know that Christ and Messiah are the same word? Christ and Messiah are the same word. Just one comes from the, the Hebrew and one comes from the Greek. We're going to be looking at that title, Messiah or Christ. I mean, this is a big title. I mean, we get our name from that, Christian, Christ. Christmas comes from that, Christ, Mass. But what does it mean? What is Messiah? What does Christ really mean? And I want to dive into that this morning. But before we do, let me just pray. Oh, Jesus, we, we wait for you with anticipation. We just say there is a longing in our hearts, a longing in our spirits to see you, to be with you. And we expect um, and anticipate your presence here this morning. So come and be with us and speak with us. Amen. So the first question I want to ask is this. Who is the Messiah? Who is the Messiah? And let me just say, here's a really good like, life hack. If you are in church and someone asks you a question, if you answer Jesus, like 95% of the time you're going to be right. I learned that when I was in Sunday school. And today is no different. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And, and you, I mean, most of us could have guess that that was the answer. Um, and this will be a quiz. No, I'm just joking. But Jesus is the Messiah. But what does that mean, that Jesus is the Messiah? What does it mean that he's the Christ? Again, if we look at that word, um, in the Old Testament, the word for Messiah was very similar. It was Messiah, which translates into Messiah. And in, in Greek, it was Christos, which translate to, translates to Christ. So sometimes you'll see Messiah, sometimes you'll see Christ, but whatever it is, it's the same word. And the word means anointed one or chosen one. So when we say Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the Messiah, we are saying he is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. And like I was saying, the Old Testament is constantly 
pointing forward with this hope and this longing and this desire for this chosen one, for the Messiah. In fact, there are over 350 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. The New Testament uses the title of Christ over 500 times, but in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, even before Jesus, there are 350 prophecies pointing towards him, saying what he's going to be like, where he's going to be from, what he's going to do. 350. So, what, so who is the Messiah? What, what was he coming to do? What were they anticipating? What were they waiting for and longing for, especially the people at this time in the first century? Actually, I guess right before the first century. What were they waiting for? My hope is this, this, this morning we can get in the mindsets of these, of these people. We can kind of get into like a, a, a time machine and go back and, and, and kind of feel the longing that they felt. And we can kind of understand the framework in which they were seeing the Messiah, in which they would have seen Jesus. So what were they waiting for? And the best place to start to, 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 to understand these, this anticipation, the best place to start is all the way back at the beginning. All the way back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. This is right after the fall. This is right after the fall. We, most of us know the story. Adam and Eve are in this garden. And they have this beautiful, wonderful, uh, just intimate relationship with God. Everything is great. Everything is great. And they just are connected to him and all is well. And God says, you can eat anything in the garden. Just don't eat from this one tree. And we know what happens in the story. A, a serpent comes along and, and deceives Adam and Eve. And they end up eating from the tree. And, and sin enters the world. And that feels static on, 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 on the page, right? It just feels like, mm-hmm, we've heard this. But think about that. That's when sin entered the world. Death entered the world. Murder, rape, killing, racism, uh, all terrorism because of this, 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 this decision. And sin, it drove a wedge between man and God. And we are disconnected from the one who made us, the one who we were created to have a relationship with. Sin drove a wedge in that relationship. But listen to what God says to the serpent. Genesis chapter 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God is saying, out of the seed of this woman, out of the offspring of this woman will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. Who will destroy the works of the enemy. And yeah, the enemy will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Saying he will make right what was made wrong in the garden. He will restore that relationship that was broken. He will remove that wedge between God and man. He will do something. He will crush the head of the enemy. So from that point forward, the Jewish people, the people actually at that time, were, were longing for this one who is going to destroy the enemy, who is going to defeat Satan and restore what was lost is going to make things right again. And so what I want to do is I want to go through the Old Testament now and just walk through it and look at the Old Testament, every single one of them, all 350. So we're going to be here for a while. Now, we're going to look through the Old Testament prophecies and, and, and see what they said about this, this, this coming Messiah. So shortly after this happened, a guy came along named Abraham Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Um, we know the guy. Uh, but he was, he, he, the Lord spoke to him and said that he was going to be the father of a great nation. 
that he was going to he was going to uh, be the the father of of a people group, and and out of the line of Abraham became the Jewish people. And Genesis twelve tells us that the Messiah, the one that we are hoping for, will come from the line of Abraham. So it tells us that he will be. Jewish. And let me just say this, Messiah was the hope of the Jewish people. From this point on, he was, uh, he was the Jewish Messiah. He was the, the, the chosen one for the Jews. For those of you who know my dad, my dad grew up in a Jewish home. Uh, he, he, you know, his family is Jewish, and, and he still considers himself a Jew. And he was talking to my grandmother uh, he, he, he accepted Jesus in, in college, uh, but he was, he was talking to my grandmother saying, you know, as a Jew, I, you know, I do this. And she's like, you're, you're not a Jew. You're a Christian. And I remember him saying, Mom, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And that always stuck with me. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. He is the Jewish Messiah. Genesis 14 tells us that he's going to be a king, but he will also be a priest, that he will be a powerful ruler, but he will also be our intercessor. Genesis 49 tells us that not only will he be a Jew, but it tells us what tribe he will come from. If If you know about the, 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 the history of the Jewish people, they broke into these 12 different tribes. And it tells us that Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah. So a short time after this, the Jewish people are taken into slavery by the Egyptians. The Egyptians just overtake the Jewish people. And we've seen the movies. We've seen Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt. Or, but we know for 400 years, the, the um, Jews were under the slavery under the Egyptians. And they began to cry out for the Messiah. They began to cry out for the one who would deliver them, the chosen one to come. Exodus 12 says the Messiah will be their great deliverer. It says the Messiah will be the great deliverer. Deuteronomy 21 says that he will be crucified on a tree. And there were so many. I'm skipping over tons and tons of prophecies as we go on. But all these prophecies were coming around this time about this hope for this this Messiah. And we know the story that the Jews were delivered from Egypt. Remember Moses, let my people go, standing before the Red Sea and parting. And they were delivered out of Egypt and they were wandering around the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And they eventually get to the promised land, and they build a big kingdom. And they're they're led for a while by these things called judges, but they eventually, they're like, we want to be like everyone else. We want a king. So God gives them what they want. He gives them a king, um, and they have a, a line of all different kinds of kings, some good, some bad. Their greatest king was King David. Uh, This David was just a really good, powerful king, and they, they, you know, had so much prosperity as when David was their king. And uh, 2 Samuel tells us that Messiah will be a king like David, and he will come from the line of David. It also tells us that he will be the son of God. He will be the son of God. 1 Chronicles 17 says he will be a king like David, except his reign will last forever. He will be on the throne for eternity. Psalm 16 says he will die, but he will rise from the dead. Psalm 22 says that he will be forsaken for the sins of others. It also tells us that his hands and his feet will be pierced. Psalm 41 tells us that he'll be Betrayed by a friend. Psalm 72, this is where it gets cool, because remember, this was the Jewish Messiah. This was the hope for the Jewish people. But this was where it gets cool for a lot of us. Psalm 72 says, 
that he will not just be for the Jews, but he will be for all people. He will be for all nations. So it was around this time that, you know, the, the, the kingdom started to have turmoil. And it split into two different kingdoms. The, uh, and, and it began to have civil war. And eventually it fell, and it, it fell under Babylonian rule. Babylonian, Babylon took it over and destroyed it. Just basically destroyed the temple, destroyed everything. And eventually the, the, the Babylonians let them go, and they, they ended up being uh, taken over by the Persians, and then eventually by the Greeks, and then by the Romans. And, and it, the, the history of the Jewish people is a, is a history that's uh, full of oppression, full of oppression and full of just hard, uh, hard times and people crying out for the Messiah, the chosen one, to deliver them. So under the time of the Babylonian rule and the Persian rule, the, 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 the prophecies started happening more and more frequently, like just one right after another. And they're crying out for the Savior to come for the, for the Jewish people. Isaiah 2 tells us that he will bring repentance for all nations. Isaiah 7, uh, the prophet Isaiah tells us that he will be born of a virgin. Isaiah has all, uh, so many great prophecies for him. He, tell, he, call, he says that he's going to be the prince of peace. He tells us that he's going to be the good shepherd. That he's going to be the good father. Listen to this. Isaiah comes and says that he will be almighty God. Up until this point, they thought the Messiah was going to be a man, and now he says, no, the Messiah will be almighty God. It says that he'll be a just judge, that he will hold people accountable, that he will bring justice to this world. It says that he'll be a servant, he'll come to serve people. Calls in the light of the world, he says that his salvation will extend to the ends of the earth. He says that Messiah will be the counselor for the weary. Counselor for the weary. He says that the Messiah will bring healing, that he will have a ministry of healing. He also says that the Messiah will be poor will be despised, will be reje rejected. It says that he will be killed, but he will bear the sins of the world. He calls him the sacrificial lamb. The great prophet Jeremiah tells us that he will be God, but he will also be man. Talks about his, his dual nature of God and man. And Jeremiah has a ton too. Daniel tells us that he will be holy, he will be sinless, and he will, he will die for the sins of the world. Daniel has a ton to, as well. Hosea tells us that, that he will have to flee to Egypt. Micah says that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Zechariah says that he will be a, he'll be powerful, but he'll be a humble king. He'll be humble. And in fact, he will, he will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Malachi says that he will turn many to righteousness. This was the hope of the, of the Jewish people. This was their hope. And the thought, just the very thought of the Messiah just would be like, yes, he's coming. He's going to fix what was made wrong. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to do all of these things. And all of these prophecies, like I was saying, were happening so frequently at this time. So frequently at this time. And then all of a sudden, silence. Silence. 400 years of silence. This is known as the intertestimonial time. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was 400 years of silence. 
And many people during this time begin to kind of fall away, to give up hope, to kind of say, oh, the Messiah is not coming. We give up. But there were many who, who held on to hope. And in fact, their hope began to grow stronger during these 400 years. And all of a sudden, this crazy guy comes along. He's crazy. He's wearing like camels, camel skin. He's, he's eating locusts and honey. He comes out of the wilderness and he begins to have this huge following. Like all of these people are gathering around this guy named John the Baptist, listening to him talk. And he's becoming like the rock star of the time. Like just huge multitudes of people coming and listening to this guy. And his message was simple. It was this. The Messiah is here. The Messiah has come. So get ready. Get ready. The Messiah has come. And so many were like, He's the Messiah. John the Baptist is the Messiah. But John was basically, he said, I, I'm not even fit to tie his shoes. He didn't say tie his shoes. He said, he said his sandals. But he meant shoes. But his whole message was, get ready, because it's time. That's just a few of the prophecies through over 350 prophecies about the, the, the coming Messiah, the anticipation for the Messiah to come. Remember, these people were, were, were so oppressed. This was their hope. This was their hope. And currently, at this point, they were under Roman rule, and the Romans were brutal. The Romans were just absolutely brutal. If you read the stories of how they treated the, the, the Jewish people, it is, it is disgusting. Their hope was the Messiah. And there were many who came who claimed to be the Messiah. Many people came and said, I'm the Messiah. But you see, these prophecies began to narrow the field a bit. It began to get more and more narrow. And when, when someone claimed to be the Messiah, all it took was to say, you're not from Bethlehem. Or, well, you didn't flee to Egypt or, you know, whatever it was. Or you don't come from the tribe of Judah or just whatever it was. But this, th these prophecies began to narrow the field considerably. In fact, there was a study uh, done a number of years ago by the scholar named Peter Stoner and he took all of the prophecies, all of the Old Testament prophecies, and he, he basically narrowed them down to 60, I believe. I heard that. 60. Yeah, 60 main prophecies, saying some of the prophecies are essentially saying the same thing. So that he categorized them into these 60 prophecies that the Messiah had to do these 60 things. And he said, for, and he worked with statisticians and scientists, and they determined that for someone to come along and fill, fulfill the top eight, just eight out of the 60, the probability would be, put this number up, one in, what's the number called? 100 quadrillion. One, I've never even heard that number. I've never heard of that number. 100 quadrillion. That's a lot of zeros. Just to fulfill eight of those prophecies. And to fulfill all of them was impossible. Like no one. You could have all the people of all time forever and ever and ever, and it, it's just not going to happen. But it did happen. There is one person who fulfilled every single one of those prophecies. And that person, here's the question. We know the answer. Jesus. Jesus fulfilled every single one of the prophecies. And I know some people are like, well, look, I mean, those prophecies, man, they had to have been, you know, written after the fact, right? Like, written after the fact. Like, Jesus came along, and then they went back and changed some of the stuff to make it fit into his life. But no, 
We have manuscripts. We have, we have the actual documents written hundreds, if not thousands of years before Jesus saying these things. Even secular scholars will say these things came long before Jesus. The more I study this, the more I look into this, the more I read the Old Testament, the more I just see Jesus all over it, and the more I just say there is no doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. In my mind, there is no doubt that Jesus was who he said he was. I mean, every prophecy he fulfilled, they all point right to him. So this raises an interesting question. Like if every prophecy was fulfilled by, them, by him and these people were just longing for him, they were just longing for the Messiah. This was their great hope and he fulfilled these prophecies and how did they miss it? How did they miss it? And let me just say this too before... Before I go on, many of them did not miss it. The whole early church was Jewish, so they, they did see it. And let me also say that there are prophecies that say that the Jewish people would miss it, that they would miss it. But how did they miss it? We can sit here, you know, 2,000 years later, and I know for me, I can look at it and be like, kind of on a high horse and feel like, it seems so obvious, guys. But here's the truth. I think many of us are doing the same thing today. Many of us do the same thing right now. So I want to talk about missing the Messiah. How do they miss the Messiah? How do we miss the Messiah? You know, some of us, you know, have this great passion, this great desire to see Jesus move in our life, to see his activity in our life with great anticipation, but we are missing him. We're missing him. And I think, I believe the Jewish people missed the Messiah, missed the Christ for two uh, main reasons, and I think they're the same reasons that we do as well. And reason one, or, or reason A, is they stopped looking. They just stopped looking for him. Remember the 400 years of silence. That's a long time. That's like 365 years longer than I've ever had to wait for anything. Some of them became, became jaded. Like, this is, this is taking too long. Or this is, this is not going to happen. And they just stopped looking for him. Some of them began to feel like, this, <laughs> this just seems kind of like a fairy tale. This is my, my grandfather's religion. Like, we're, we're Roman now. We have logic. We can, we can figure some stuff out. This, we're a little more sophisticated than that stuff. And they stopped looking. And I think the same thing is true for many of us. There are some people that are here today. You may consider yourself a Christian. You may not consider yourself a Christian. But you have little to no expectation to see Jesus in your life. To see Jesus do things in your life. But I want to tell you this. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ... He didn't just come 2,000 years ago to fulfill a bunch of prophecies and then bolt. He came to inaugurate his kingdom here on earth and invite you into that journey. He came to change the world and to draw you into relationship, to crush the head of the serpent and fix what happened in the garden. To say, now, you can have relationship back with God. That's what he came to do. And he is inviting you into it today. So let me just say, don't let today pass without joining in that relationship.
Many of us have this idea that Christianity, you know, we might be Christians, but that, that was 2,000 years ago. And now, you know, God is up in heaven and we do our own thing. That is just not true. And many of us have this idea that Christianity is just, it's, it's, it's about doing the right things. It's about following the system of rules. You know, do this, don't do that, go to church, you know, don't say bad words, you know, don't do this, do that. But that, that, listen, that's not what it's about. Christianity, this whole thing we call the good news, it is the good news. It's not the good advice. It's not the good way of life. It is the good news. News implies that something happened. What happened? The Messiah came. That's the good news. The Messiah, the chosen one, the one who is going to reestablish our relationship with God came. And you can be back in relationship with God. That's what this is all about. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because the Messiah came. The chosen one came. Many of us love the idea of Jesus. I hear this, I hear a lot of uh, my friends say this. I, I, I've, you know, have a lot of friends who, who aren't believers. And what typically people say about Jesus for people who aren't Christians, they'll say, I, I really like Jesus. I like what he taught. I think it's great. But come on. The idea of him being like Messiah, the idea of him being God, come on. But listen, I love what C.S. Lewis says. I put this on my Facebook a, a, a few days ago, but C.S. Lewis, he talks about this thing that, he, the, that people call the, the great trilemma, saying that Jesus had to be one of three things. He had to be one of three things because Jesus made some pretty crazy claims. He said that he was God. He said that he was Messiah. And for someone to do that, they either had to be a lunatic, like a, like a crazy person, they had to be a liar, just kind of an evil person, or they were who they said they were. They were Lord. C.S. Lewis says that Jesus had to be liar, lunatic, or Lord. He can't just be a good moral teacher. He can't just be a guy who taught nice things. I love what our modern day prophet says. Bono. You guys know him? And you're like, he's not a prophet, but I... I beg to differ. Listen to what he says. Bono is a, is a really outspoken believer. And he was in this uh, interview where this um, interviewer was saying basically that, just saying kind of like, hey, I like Jesus just like everybody. Jesus seems like a good guy. But come on, the idea that he's Messiah or God, doesn't that seem far-fetched? And listen to what, what Bono says. He says, no, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, had a lot along the lines of other great prophets to say, like be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying, I am God incarnate. And people say, no, no, please just be a prophet, a prophet we can take, but don't mention the M word because, you know, we're going to have to crucify you. And he goes on, no, no, I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and set you free from these creeps, but actually, I am the Messiah. And at this point, everyone starts staring at their shoes and says, he's going to keep saying this. So what you're left with is this. Either Christ was who he said, he was the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. I'm not joking here. And the idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. Told you, Bono's a prophet, man. They were missing it. Many people just, just were not looking 
for Jesus to be the Messiah. They weren't looking for the Messiah at all. The next thing that, that, that made them miss the Messiah and the reason that we miss the Messiah is maybe we are looking for him, but we are looking for the wrong things. We're looking for the wrong things. Here's what I mean. Somehow, many of these people, their idea of what the Messiah was and what he came to do got warped. Like we were talking about, they were under this brutal Roman rule. And they began, their hope was that the Messiah was going to come and, and be this warrior who was going to overthrow the, the Roman people and deliver them out of, out of this brutal rule and develop um, and establish the, the, the Jewish people as a great kingdom again, as an earthly kingdom. And when he didn't do that, when he didn't uh, do the political things that they wanted him to do, they said, this can't be the Messiah. They were looking for someone who was going to be politically powerful. But they got a baby born in a manger. They were looking for someone who would come and destroy Rome. But they, they got someone who said, you guys need to love Rome. They were looking for someone who was going to be a warrior who would defeat their enemies, but they got someone who was willing to lay down his life for his enemies. They were looking for someone who would surround himself with the best, the brightest, the, the religious elite, the powerful, the strong. They got someone who surrounded himself with, with the sinners and the sick, prostitutes, lepers, tax collectors, outcast. They were looking for someone who would free them from earthly bondage, but they got someone who wanted to free them from a bondage they were not even aware of. The bondage of their heart. A spiritual bondage. What Jesus did wasn't what they were expecting, but it was far greater than anything they could have expected. Like, imagine if Jesus came and delivered them from Rome and left. That would be a cool story. But what he did was far greater. And I, I wonder how many people here today have these expectations that Jesus will do certain things in your life. Like, you have this hope that Jesus is going to do this, this thing in your life, but Jesus has different plans. He wants to do something that's far greater, something that you can't even fathom. And here's the thing. I believe Jesus is doing something in each and every one of your lives. Jesus said, my father is always at work. Some of us have this misconception of, of who Jesus is and, and what he wants to do. Some of us have this idea that Jesus is the king far away. And he has these, when he wants us to do something, it's like, go and buy that home. And then it's done. He's just this king who's barking orders and he's disappointed when we blow it. And we, we, we fail to realize that Jesus wants intimacy with us. That Jesus wants to be involved in your everyday life. Some of us have almost the opposite problem. Some of us love the idea of buddy Jesus. He just wants to come and like love on us. And we, we fail to realize that he is this powerful king who is on a mission and has plans for you. Some of us have this idea that Jesus is like a step above Santa Claus. Like he's like kind of this glorified Santa Claus. Like we give him our wish list and then he says, all right, let's, you've been pretty good. Let's, let's do it for you. Maybe you have these hopes of what Jesus is going to do in your life. And that's all you're looking for. Like, you really want this new job. You really need your career to go this way. And that's that you're just focused on that. And Jesus is going to come and do that for you. Or maybe you really need a spouse. You really want a spouse. And that's what Jesus is going to do in your life. Maybe, maybe you deal with some kind of sickness. 
Maybe you deal with like depression or maybe you deal with like, like some kind of physical sickness like cancer and you say, that's what Jesus is going to do in my life. Maybe if it's a family member. Like Jesus is going to heal my mom. That's what he's going to do. And that's what you're focused on. It could be personal. It could be global things. It could be things like what Jesus is going to do is make America powerful and turn us back to him and we're going to be a superpower. And we're missing, maybe, maybe he's going to do those things. Maybe those are the things he wants to do, but maybe he wants to do something different. And we need to get our eyes off of those things and get our eyes onto the Messiah because we may miss him. And what I am not saying is we can't bring those things to the Lord. I pray for America. I pray for my mom who has cancer. I pray for my loved ones who struggle with depression. I pray for all kinds of things. And I say, Lord, I present this to you. But I don't let those things become my focus. I focus on him. So no matter what you're going through, you may be going through major turmoil. When we look at the world with, with, with ISIS, with, with this racial divide in our country, with all these things going on, and we think this is, Jesus is going to come fix this, but, and maybe he will. But maybe Jesus has something else that he's doing. And we know the end of the story. We know that, that the prophecies do say that the Messiah is going to come again. And when he comes again, he's going to finish what he started, and he's going to make all things new. And all sickness will be wiped away. No more fear. All these, oh, it's, it's amazing. Read the last couple pages of the book and it's, it's amazing. But we need to fix our eyes on the Messiah because he is here. He has come. That's what we celebrate in Christmas. The Messiah came. Because if we're focusing on other things, the things that we want him to do, we may miss him. Why don't we stand? Here's how I want to end. I believe there are people here who are facing really hard things. Specifically two things. I think there are people here who are facing really hard decisions and questions for future, for their future, like job stuff, financial stuff, marriage stuff, health stuff. They might not be decisions. It might be something like, I'm really sick or my husband is really sick, or, or something like that. And you need the Messiah. And like I said, it's not wrong to present those things to him. And I want to invite those people to come forward and present those things to the Messiah, to the one who came, to the one who's here. And there are, I, I believe there's also people here who are really struggling with something that's happening with a member of their family. Like, like a, a, a member of their family is walking away from the Lord or a member of their family is struggling with something. And I want to invite you forward to kind of act as an intercessor to get prayer for that. So as we worship, I want to invite you up to just receive prayer. And so you can just start making your way up to the front if, if uh, either of those things apply to you. I had a quick word too. All through worship, um, I just kept getting a picture of a group of people like entangled inside a, a fishing net, you know, but like one of those that gets, you know, hoisted up in the air or something in a movie. But it was like people that were just caught in this big net. And um, really strongly, for whatever reason this weekend, I just keep getting the words anxiety and fear. And so I just, I just saw then the Lord coming and just kind of taking scissors to this net and setting people free. So... If you receive prayer during worship, but you still feel like, you know, you need to be prayed for again, I just encourage you to come forward. Yeah, so just make your way forward. And I want to encourage you, don't miss the Messiah. He's here. Christ be the center. Oh, Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we Fix our eyes, be the center of our lives. We 
just need some people to come and pray as well. more female prayers. That's our prayer this morning. We focus our eyes on you. Christ the King has come. The Messiah has come. And we, we fix our eyes on you. Lord, help us to, to keep our gaze on you. And we say we trust you. And we believe that you are who you say you are. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you are all that you're going to do. Just be glorified in our lives, Lord. And we pray that our lives can be a reflection that you are the King, you are the Messiah, you are the Chosen One. We pray these things in your name, Jesus.